Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the End Time Tribune this January the 7th, 2017. It is good to be with you tonight. Uh, we are your hosts, Matthew Miller and Brian Ingram. Uh, Brian will be on just here lickety-split. He tells me that he just got up and needs to get some coffee. Amen to that. Uh, we're going to be delving into a lot of things tonight, uh, many, many, many things come across the social networking site, uh, and if you'd like to join uh, us over there, uh, it's really easy to find. Uh, just go to the Facebook uh, search page and search In Time Tribune. Uh, we will readily come up. And we do invite you uh, to send us a friend request. We'd be happy to. Uh, be friends with you and communicate with you. That's how uh, a lot of communiques get to me personally. Uh, those private chats seem to go off the charts. They're like endless. <laughs> so uh, really going to try to cover a whole lot that I discussed with the friends over there this week. Uh, and I have taken a new perspective on the social networking site. Uh, Brian will probably not appreciate uh, my newfound take on it as it really can be good uh, for frustrating uh, times in your life. It can be good for arguments. Um, but everybody knows that the Brian and I do not partake in arguing with anybody, as that is anti-biblical, and this is a biblical worldview broadcast. It has always been so. Uh, many people try to brand us with that title of Christianity. There are many sects and denominations uh, which brand themselves by that title. Uh, this is a biblical worldview broadcast, uh, so it's a little bit different. Um, but I hope that everybody is faring well amidst this bad weather that we've been having here over the past week, much of the United States. Um, we try to keep all of you in our prayers, all of our extended family, whether you are known to us or known only by the Holy Spirit. We do appreciate you, and we do thank you for coming by. But we have a lot to uh, talk about uh, tonight. I'm going to uh, reiterate some things that uh, I had on my plate about uh, Donald Trump and the way uh, that I see uh, people commenting uh, toward the president-elect. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We have plenty to talk about, uh, endless resources that we can go through here. So uh, let us get Brian on the line, shall we? Brian, uh, you are in the saddle. Uh, just jump in here when you're ready. I don't know if you're back yet from getting coffee, uh, but if so, uh, please do say hello to the listeners. And it looks like he's not back yet. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, let's just take a look at this. Uh, Brian had brought up to me privately the, the simple fact that a foreseeable economic collapse if the new world be Babylon is quite impossible because the Lord our God painfully tells us in the book of Revelation that the shipping merchants 
are en route to the new world, when the smoke of her burning rises up over the horizon. So there has obviously been no economic collapse when this event takes place. That being said, we have to realize that the Lord loudly declares to us in the book of Revelation that he puts it into the hearts of the ten kings to burn her with fire. We really need to come to grips with this biblical fact. We're going to have to come to grips with this. And this is how this has been set up, ladies and gentlemen. The world economy, if you please do your research, a full one-third of all goods that are manufactured and consumed on God's footstool is shipped straight to the new world. The mystery Babylon, if you will. This being the case, the root of the new world is, of course, America. More importantly, uh, those in Latin America usually take offense to that, so let me reiterate that. The United States of America. As a matter of fact, uh, much of the shipping that goes to the rest of the North, Central, and South American countries only do so because they piggyback off of uh, shipping uh, vehicles that have been dedicated to come first to the United States of America. But when you're researching this and you realize that this isn't the only time that God makes reference to one-third, according to a destruction of grandiose magnitude that seems to play a major role in what is to come, the end of days, so to speak. When we think about this thing, these ten kings, they do exist. That is biblical. I know that many people uh, who promote the Illuminati, they all say 13. That, however, is irrelevant. God, he says 10. What they have set up is for all roads to lead to mystery Babylon. That is where the Silk Road inevitably comes. The United States alone consumes 27% of all manufactured goods on this planet. Like I shared that article last week from mainstream sources. You can readily understand when you start adding Brazil, Mexico, yada, yada, yada. One-third comes here. When you back that up with the simple fact that the Lord our God tells us an event is going to strike his footstool, which will burn, of course, one-third of all the green grass and all the trees. When you get a globe, when you do your due diligence in geology, you will 
readily come to the understanding that the new world does in fact represent one-third of God's footstool. These things, being that, we must understand that what president-elect is doing is rocking the boat. Now, take note. This is how much power he has. He's not even president yet. Toyota Motor slips after Trump threatens border tax on Mexico. Now look, how can Toyota Motors stock dive from a tweet of a president elect that has not undergone inauguration? How's that possible? Ladies and gentlemen, let me ask you this. When has this been done before? Since when does one of the top ten manufacturers in this country scrap their plans to build a new plant in Mexico over a president-elect's threat. Ladies and gentlemen, Ford Motor Company started this whole shindig. If you all do your history as far as manufacturing is concerned, I hope you realize that the motor industry itself started with the Model A and the Model T. Now, the third time, I think, is a charm. Now, I want everybody to take note that weeks after a carrier deal, uh, things happened with Trump. Because this, this carrier, the company itself… Uh, criticized Trump for claiming that 1,100 jobs would be kept in Indiana. And yes, some jobs will be kept. They're not all going overseas. But ladies and gentlemen, this is third time's a charm. Toyota, Ford, and Carrier. Ladies and gentlemen, this system is in fact already in place. It's in place. Is it that would cause the Ten Kings to burn her with fire? I don't know if Brian has actually hit the nail on the head. I don't know. One thing is for sure. Since I started doing broadcast, ladies and gentlemen, I have been stating this the whole time, that the third time is always a charm. It's always a charm. That's just the way it is. So when we look at it that way, and ladies and gentlemen, we're going way back in time, way back to May 2010 that I've been stating these very things, that the third time is always a charm. You need to look out. These things are verifying each other and validating one another, and I think you all need to take a check of yourselves. You need to all have a selah moment. I see all of you in the Christian community sticking up for Trump. 
I have seen uh, some articles uh, that are supposed to be of an eschatological stint that say that this could be encoded in the Bible source code as Trump could very well be the last Trump, so to speak. However, that being the case, there would have to be multiple Trumps. Someone would have to do justifiable research proving that people in his bloodline had in fact fulfilled the same shoes that he now has donned. So that would be the first thing I would say to people if they would say that Trump represents anything significant according to Bible prophecy. The Bible would not say last Trump unless it told you all about the first Trump. So with that in mind, is Brian correct? Has he hit the nail on the head? Is Donald Trump going to upset this boat? If we enact trade wars, if we start blocking the goods, that defeats our purpose. The Ten Kings have set us up to be the consumers of the world. Everybody knows that. That is common knowledge. That's common knowledge. If we go back to the beginning and we truly become once again the world superpower, being both the world's manufacturer and consumer, that won't work for the Ten Kings' plans. It just won't. So when you publicly promote and support this current president-elect, I strongly suggest that you have a Salah moment. Brian, are you with us yet, and what are your thoughts and comments on what I just uh, stated for the record? Yep, you got me here? Yep, I've got you. Yep, I've got you. All right. Just making sure everything's working properly. Well, I don't think it changes too much from all that I stated last week. I mean, you know, we're still seeing major rumblings this week on top of it with decisions he's made thus far. I mean, uh, we've got here, boss warns Trump, don't move the embassy. Jordan has been warning, don't move the embassy. The Arabs have been warning, don't move the embassy. Essentially stating you do so, it's it's going to boil over into full-blown war. Okay, that's one thing that he's set in motion. Already that's, you know, before he's even walked into the White House and taken up that post, already he's ticked off the entire world by stating we're going to move the embassy to Jerusalem. You know, th- this is getting serious, Brian. It, it really is getting serious. Uh, we need to uh, think about this, ladies and gentlemen. Here, let me just ask Brian. Brian has done so much work into this, uh, so much groundbreaking work when it comes to cryptochronology. It's just off the charts, ladies and gentlemen. But, Brian, when I say this phrase to you, what does it mean, biblically speaking? Now, I, I don't want to know uh, etymologically speaking. I don't want to know socially speaking. 
I want to know, biblically speaking, what it is that you think of when Reuters comes out and says that France will convene some 70 countries on January 15th for a Middle East peace conference in Paris. Biblically, well, biblically, Brian, what is 70 nations? Where does that come from? Well, automatically, we know that the nations were split apart into 70. Now, I know we've got people that run around with the 72. That's irrelevant at the moment. We've got 70 nations that it states through the biblical text. And now, all of a sudden, we have this meeting that is convening with 70 nations. And never mind the fact that, okay, well, Israel, you can't show up. Um, You know, Abbas and the Palestinians, you're not welcome. We'll tell you what happens after the fact. Now, does everybody remember when they made the first initial ruling through um, UNESCO concerning the Temple Mount that was just on top of it, it was the exact same thing that was reiterated with this new UN policy? UNESCO, and when they did the UNESCO vote, they did it behind closed doors during Turkey's coup, during the Gulen overthrow. All of a sudden, they closed shop. The day after the coup, mind you, which makes little to no sense. But then on top of it, when they released the statements concerning that vote that they took at UNESCO, it stated blatantly, we did this behind closed doors secretly. Now, why would they do that? And now all of a sudden you have, after the string of attacks that have come against Jerusalem, and folks, I'm going to cut through The nonsense right here, they keep running around saying two-state, but this has nothing to do with two-state. They want to eradicate and obliterate Israel from the picture, period. It's always been that way, folks. So now they're moving forward again towards this quote-unquote two-state solution, and it's just – it's causing all sorts of controversy. At the very exact same moment, we've got – you know. The upcoming administration is going to move the embassy to Jerusalem. It's coming in from every which way at this stage. It really is, Brian. It's it, it's coming at us from every which way but loose. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, the event horizon for even the meaning of 70 Nations – it comes from the book of Genesis, ladies and gentlemen. Most most notably, most people concentrate on Genesis 10 and 11, the description of the division of nations there being 70 in its totality. You know, Brian, I wonder if through these 70 nations that's going to attend, do you think it is – is physically possible, scientifically possible, that there could be bloodlines there representing all of these 70 nations mentioned in uh, and chronicled there in Genesis uh, chapter 10 and 11? Do you think that's possible? I would have to almost expect it, to be quite honest. I mean, as much work as I've done trying to trace out these varied migrations, the varied mixings, and so forth, and lay out who's who uh, in this day and age. Okay, we're, we're already talking about, for instance, France. Well, who is France? A mass majority of those people came from 
the Cimmerian tribes that used to be settled around the Ukraine. Uh, it basically states that those groups are going to come from the north when we roll around to Ezekiel 39, and then later after that, Ezekiel 38. So we've already got that one group in the midst, in the mix with this. Well, you know, it's it, it, and let's just talk about Paris and France for a minute, using isochronal eschatology. Um, Brian, you and I have talked about this many, many times. That what happened during the French Revolution is just off the charts, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it is off the charts. You have to realize that this is was outright rebellion against God. That's what happened during the Age of Reason. Um, ladies and gentlemen, you have to understand that they rebelled against time itself. Uh Brian and I have stated many times that uh, it was France that changed the clock, ladies and gentlemen. They changed the clock. If you can get your hands on a French revolutionary clock, you'll take note, it does not have 12 on it. It has 10. They did not have weeks. They literally shook their fist at God and made 10 day decades. This is what they did. And of course, at the end of the matter, he who started it, I mean that term itself, Rose Pierre, the very one who started it, finished it when he himself was beheaded for his rebellion against God. So, this is so extremely prophetic to me and Brian that this would be done in France. Let's, let's go back again to the French Revolution. Any of you done any research on what it was that Napoleon did concerning the Jewish land? Does anybody have any idea that it was Napoleon that wanted to reinstitute the promised land of Israel? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not joking. What I just told you is true. <laughs> That's what Napoleon wanted to do. So when we look at this fold in time, this just sticks like a thorn in my mind's eye when I look at this article, the original one from Reuters. Not only were the 70 nations going to gather against Israel, they were going to do it in Paris, France. We are on the precipice, ladies and gentlemen, of what very well could be an extremely bumpy ride. I mean an extremely bumpy ride. And that's really the only way that I can put it. Now, I know that all of the other uh, prophecy experts concerning uh, President-elect Donald Trump 
are clearly not only promoting him, they are defending him. Not only that, they are vehemently doing so. Uh, I've seen several posts from friends as some of their friends were commenting on their post and I could therefore see them. Oh my goodness. They had become literally rabid crusaders. Rabid. But ladies and gentlemen, these things should not surprise you. They shouldn't. And if it bothers you that I do not support president-elect, if it bothers you that I did not vote, then perhaps you should not see that as a challenge. Perhaps you should see that as an opportune moment to take pause. To literally have yourself a biblically mandated sell-out moment. We have serious things on our plate uh, that are coming to the forefront. You know, ladies and gentlemen, we have to come to grips that... Um, some things, people uh, who say that are in our family, they have been brought up and convinced of things that are not uh, pleasant. Take note of this. If you begin arguments with them and fights with them, they have no hope. It will do you no good to start arguments and fights with them. It will do not only you no good, it certainly will do them no good. Not any. Ladies and gentlemen, Rose Pierre would be absolutely ecstatic if he came. To the United States of America today. Oh my goodness, I just saw uh, a mainstream news article that some state had actually paid for a prisoner in their jail system to receive a gender reassignment operation. Oh my goodness, would Rose Pierre be dancing in the streets? Enough to chill you to the bone when you really think about just the amount of abortions that take place. I mean, do a news search, ladies and gentlemen, for just the amount of murders committed in Chicago in 2016. Just that city alone. We have become a murderous, stealing, lying, degenerate. Generation, which brings something to mind about the social networking site. I was sent uh, a question. 
earlier this week. And when you do so, ladies and gentlemen, take note. It can take me up to a week to respond. I have all kinds of people sending me very important questions, even as this one is very important. And it amazes me that as I read it, I realize that he did not know what the Bible source code had to say about it. It amazed me, but uh, this question uh, came to me. It says, I have a question, and I know that the rabbis know, and from what we know about all the names of our Creator, that they are speculation possibly made up. My question is, is there a way for me to find out God's name? Is that to include the vowels, E-I-O-U? Is this a waste of time searching it out, or... Is there a special place that I can find it? But I do know this much. From what the word says, for men will turn to the people a pure language that they may call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. This is my reply, and I will extrapolate and expand a little on it, and then we'll get Brian's take on this. This is my response. Yes, I have been saying this uh, in videos and broadcast for six years now. As far as I know what the vows are, this is one of the purposes that the Sefar Ra, which I have a copy of, was written. Now, having said that, the answer is a resounding no. You cannot know the vows that make his name pure. Now take note that the Hebrew Bible source code, the Masoretic text, contains that which you know to be H1305 in the Strong's Dictionary. However, that is not how God spelled it in Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 9. And just so you all know, what it says in the Strong's and what it says in Zephaniah, Zephaniah has additional church. That's two letters that you know of that is added. And when we take a look at this, I want you all to uh, come to an understanding of just exactly what the Bible source code says on the Greco side of the equation. Because it's very important uh, that you're able to see this. I want you all to take note that this verse in question, when you look at it into the Greco Bible source code, that is not what it says. The Bible source code is comprised of two complete tongues. Two complete tongues. One, it is entirely Hebrew, made up exclusively from that which every Hebrew-speaking Jew has been saved, that has been saved, until this time today. That is the Masoretic text coupled with the Delich New Testament. That is the Hebrew Bible source code. The Greco Bible source code is the Septuagint coupled with the accepted by all of our church fathers 
manuscript, the Adidoregia. Now, that being said, you have to understand that God has to talk out two sides of his mouth. One's in the Greek, one's in the Hebrew, because you simply cannot contain the wonderful things he has to say when he speaks with one language. That is why both the Greek and the Hebrew are alphanumerical languages. They never had Arabic numerals in them, not ever. They never had a one, two, or three, not ever. It is exclusively an alphanumerical language. That being said, every letter has always been, will always be, and it was spoken of as also a number. So it is both a word and a sum, as well as an individual letter <laughs> being a letter and a number. So with that being said, when you take a look at Zephaniah, uh, the third chapter and the ninth verse in the Greco Bible source code in the Septuagint, the Bible that Jesus was actually reading in the synagogues. It says there something completely different. It doesn't say what you see in your English Bibles that uses the Hebrew Bible source code only for the New or only for the Old Testament and uses the Greco Bible source code for the New Testament. That's not what it says because there it says something completely different. And therein lies the key. It says that I may bring back upon peoples a tongue for its generation, that they may all invoke the name of the Lord, and that they may serve him under one. And yes, it does use the word yoke. Now that is the Thompson translation. I'll give you also the Britain's translation. Before then, I will turn to the peoples a tongue for her generation, that all may call upon the name of the Lord to serve him under one Yoke there that the word in question, the phrase in question, is <laughs> this generation. And once you can see that, you begin to understand, well, why is it in the feminine form? There is a whole lot more there for you to see. But yes, uh, this question on the social networking site was quite true. Ladies and gentlemen, you're never going to know how to pronounce his name. You're just not. Now, some people pronounce it Jehovah. Some people uh, pronounce it uh, Jehovah. Just give it up. You don't know. You can't know. He will never let you know. Until, of course... This generation that will not pass away before all these things are fulfilled. You see, ladies and gentlemen, you have to literally be able to see what it was God said when he spoke that about this generation not passing away. He was directly tying that to Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 9. So 
having said that, ladies and gentlemen, you can uh, delve very deeply into this. Like I said, uh, you can get the Book of Creation, which I have a copy of, which I studied uh, when I was an adolescent. That book's primary function, of course, is for the creation of the image of the beast. That book was written for the incantations to create a golem. Uh, these things have been historically accredited to, of course, Rabbi Judah ben Lo of Prague. Please look that up and the golem. That is... <laughs> What the Bible is referring to when talking about the image of the beast was given life and did speak. Ladies and gentlemen, these things are biblical. <laughs> I'm not giving you flights of fancy. These things are real, live, local, and late-breaking. But Brian and I have talked about this many, many, many times, but I get a lot of questions like this. On Facebook, privately, and I'm more than happy to answer them, although it takes me quite a lot of time sometimes because uh, questions like these are not altogether simplistic. <laughs> They're rather complicated. So, Brian, do you think there is any hope or any chance – of this being that generation with which Christ was referring to, that we would see these things, that uh, perhaps we would be given the vowels that comprise the Hebrew language. Would we be able to know how to pronounce his name? Um, and when do you think this event will take place? Uh, do you think it will be before the tribulation trigger, after the tribulation trigger? Uh, do you think this has something to do with the other prophecies, uh, perhaps when uh, God says he will pour his spirit uh, out upon uh, the young, yada, 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 yada? We all know the prophecies. Uh, what's your thoughts, Brian? Do you think we're close, and what do you think the timing for these events could be? I would definitely say it, by all appearances, appears we are moving in that direction. Unless, of course, we've missed something glaringly obvious, yet keeping an eye on certain things that we know to watch out for, we've definitely seen a whole lot of things moving in the correct direction. Now, this boy you know this week they've been uh, uh there's been an article rolling around for the last couple of weeks now i've seen it quite a bit that there is a uh archaeologist a scientist uh whichever he may be that has pointed out uh hebrew language may be the quote-unquote original language uh, i had seen references to this actually over the course of the last couple of months this is not the first time this story started floating around Yet something caught my attention here, and this is something I've been thinking about quite a bit due to the fact that I kind of know that this goes back to the original first written language. Yet, problem being here, folks, is you'd have to understand who uh, 
verse 10 in Zephaniah 3 is actually referring to. Because, okay, here's the uh, verse that Matthew referenced previously, verse 9, that I may then bring back upon a people a tongue for its generation, that they may all invoke the name of the Lord, that they may serve him under one yoke. Then the next verse goes on to say, from the ends of the rivers of Ethiopia, I will expect them among my dispersed, they shall bring sacrifices for me. Now, to those of you out there that haven't watched the videos, this might leave you a little bit confused. But what they refer to here as Ethiopia is not what you consider modern-day Ethiopia. And I'll tell you this right now, folks. There's a lot of work that's been done over the course of the last 200 years that shows that this language base from this actual group that lived in Central Asia that they refer to as Ethiopia from the Greek texts, that's where the first written language came from. And I find it rather interesting that it's making reference to this right here in broad daylight. Especially considering I just came across this information in the last few weeks. Let me say this, Brian. You're cutting out pretty good on my end uh, doing the uh, – what did you describe that before when we were on BTR? Dropping packets or whatever? Uh, We're not getting all of what you're saying. Um, And I would appreciate a clarification uh, there because I missed half of what you said. can you please restate um, as to whether you think this may be true, this this news article? Because that was the very next news article I was going to bring up. The article concerning the uh, first language and so forth. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What well, I just sort of nailed it on the head there, but I'll repeat what I said. I've long been wondering this myself, and... Look, I've done a ton of work as pointing out where the root of civilization actually did come in from Central Asia, and it's been found that that language on top of it there from the root civilization from Central Asia, which everybody constantly refers to today as Sumerian, is actually part of – they consider that a quote-unquote language isolate, which makes no sense, considering that in order for people to communicate to other people – Languages have to bounce back and forth because you can't talk to uh, George over in the corner if you don't know what in the heck George is saying unless you have a common tongue to speak to uh, one another with. But the original Sumerian language, and they went out of their way to cover this up, actually derives, they call it, you know, like I said, a language isolate, and it comes from the Finno-Ugrian. But not only on top of that, it's also... Most of its roots are also found within the Turkic language base itself. So this is one I've been thinking about for a long time. And I've knowing where the roots of civilization itself came from, I've always often wondered if it's possible that we're looking at the original tongue actually coming from there. Well, Brian, that's exactly what got me quite a lot of trouble back when I was in an institution of higher learning 
when I stated that. Uh, I basically said that not having any verifiable proof, I just stated that that's what my gut feeling was telling me, that this is the case. Ladies and gentlemen, there are many prophecies in reference to this. Take note that after the great day of he who sitteth upon the throne, you take note that the Bible is quite clear. It says that those who have not been eliminated by the false prophet Assyrian, those that survived the event horizon, it painfully says that they will put his name on all their utensils. Ladies and gentlemen, he is inferring to you that they will know the vows to write. Is this the event horizon? Will they even speak it one to another? Will it be a private language only to those that survive this event, which must include The children of the promise, this singular group that survived this event, are going to be, they are the fulfillment of the sons of Zadok. Make no mistakes about it. That's who survives the event. We know from archaeology. Take note, some of the inscriptions uh, that have been found. Uh, on the way to the Temple Mount, there were rules written painfully in Koinonia Greek, even as the Edito Regia was written, telling people not to enter to the holy place, making sure that everybody knew that, yes, you can come into the outer court, but if you're not one of the priests, you can't go into the holy, into the holy place. And then it had the signs for the uh, rabbis, of course the priest, that had those in Hebrew. Seeing this article, seeing these live, local, and, break, and late-breaking archaeological finds, ladies and gentlemen, of course, who's going to be of want to enter into the promised land after the mighty Assyrian is done with it. After there has been a bloodletting of the rebellious Jews on a biblical scale. But the Lord, our God, is quite clear. He says, those that remain on their utensils write his name. And of course, we know the New Testament references in the book of Revelation, saying that there are those who are inscribed with his name and his father's name. These things are key critically important to what is to come. Now, ladies and gentlemen, these, the, these, this news article, it did come out this week or was it the week before, Bri? It, it was pretty recent, right? Well, as I stated, there is uh, that article's actually been floating around for a couple of months. They just started reposting it again in the last week. So, 
Well, I I seen one article that I uh, I think I posted it on the social networking site. I think I did. Um, they found something else in addition to the original inscriptions that they had found. Uh, so that's why they reposted it. Um, let me go to on my Facebook page and scroll down. It should be pretty close to the top. Lots over there posted, but... Um, yes, controversial new theory. This is uh, uh, the Daily Mail version. Uh, this was published, um, I think, our sister Deb is the one that originally got a hold of this. Yeah, this was December 7th, so yeah, it's it's it's, it's like a month. Uh, so this is really live, local, and late-breaking. Uh, but, Brian, there can be no debate. Uh, why would the Lord our God tell us that this remnant of survivors write his name? And it never says too much about them speaking, actually, in the said text. So it makes you wonder. I mean, of course, who would want to take... Um, or who is going to uh, have the resources to take a, a vacation to the promised land after that day. So it, it makes me wonder if they speak this only to themselves and they... Well, of course, what truly must be revealed? I mean, I just mentioned uh, earlier that in Zephaniah, chapter 3, verse 9, the Strongs puts this word as H1305. When painfully, the Masoretic text does not say that altogether. It has additional characters in it. That being said, don't you realize that once they know what the vowels are, and they're able to put the vows in place, they will truly have understanding. They will truly have eyes that can actually see and ears that can actually hear. Don't you realize that, ladies and gentlemen, what a magnificent promise to the people of Israel that is. Now, I do not know Perhaps we can make that for a future broadcast. The bride herself will be preoccupied with other things. So we do not know what's going to happen there when we gather unto the tabernacle of David. Remember, these are two separate groups, ladies and gentlemen. Someone, of course, must repopulate the promised land. These things are real. This is biblical, what Brian and I are speaking about. So just imagine what they will see when they truly, for the first time, look at a copy of the Torah. They will truly see it and hear it for the first time. Because there's many words in there of course, me and Brian have been uh, caught up in uh, debates into the wee hours of the morning on multiple occasions. Well, you know, this could be this word, but it could be that word. Because, well, they both only have three letters, and 
well, that's all we got to work with. We have no idea if he was talking about, uh, let us say, uh, camel's hairs or ropes. You don't know. You can't know. You just have to swallow it. You just have to accept that now, in this time, it is not permitted for us to know everything. But the time will change, and it will become a beautiful time for us to know, see, hear, and understand these things. That much is true. So, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you realize uh, I'm sure that they come under massive fire saying or even suggesting that God actually spoke Hebrew in the Garden of Eden, the Abit Horizon. I'm sure that all 70 nations are in absolute agreement, gnashing their teeth at these archaeologists, at those who penned these articles. But make no mistakes, what the Bible says that is what is to come. That's what's going to happen. So, uh, Brian, I'm with you, and I've been thinking those very thoughts for quite a long time. Ladies and gentlemen, we're well, going to go need, ahead. Uh, and... Yeah, go ahead, Brian. Give me one second. I was just going to point out that, um, you know, albeit the information in this article is accurate, I would just say it's titled incorrectly. Um, you know, right here at the beginning is Israel, or is Hebrew the world's first alb- alphabet? Israelites in Egypt may have turned hieroglyphs into letters 3,800 years ago. Well, that's all good and fine, that taking from hieroglyphs and so forth, but it's already known that this is not the first written language, and depending on which quote-unquote theoretical thread you follow, um, biblically speaking, we know this to be the case anyways, that the people from Egypt would have had to have come out of the first civilization and made their way over towards Mitzrayim or Egypt. So the title of the article is actually what throws things into disarray. What's inside the article appears to me to be good. It's just the title is throwing the whole thing off. Well, Brian, I'm kind of glad that you... uh (laughs) that you said that. Uh, Because, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you why that's important. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to tell you uh, why this is important, because I hope everybody realizes what the... uh, How do I put that? The cryptochronologists are fighting, because it's big news, ladies and gentlemen, what these archaeologists what these archaeologists were pointing to. You'll take note that Brian made it overtly clear 3,800 years ago. Well, ladies and gentlemen, what was 3,800 years ago? According to the uh, traditional chronologist, this is when the Israelites were multiplying in Egypt. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. So, Brian, being a self-taught 
expert biblical chronologist, we're going to ask him about those very things after the break. We're going to take a short break, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's going to be 11 minutes and 24 seconds long. And maybe while we're listening to a couple of tunes, and I have to get more coffee, of course, perhaps you can consider these things and research these things. Why do those archaeologists want you to see 2017 minus 3,800 years? We'll be right back after the break. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
We live in a world of unknowing, of secrets, of blindness. But what if you were to find out that the very earth was crumbling beneath your feet, even as we speak? What if I were to tell you that America had deep, dark secrets kept from the public since its inception? What if unexplained phenomena had already been explained thousands of years ago? From a supposed natural disaster to fabled UFOs, it's going to be brought into the light with the one single document that is a testament to the evidence of the future history of this planet. The End Time Tribune brings you the news of the coming apocalypse and cast light into the future darkness. Come and see.
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the End Time Tribune. It is a great honor and a pleasure for the Brian and I to be here with you tonight uh, discussing all things biblical. Um, I hope that you've enjoyed the broadcast so far, and if so, uh, please do like, share uh, with all your friends there on the social networking site. And in doing so, I pray that the Lord, our God, might bless you richly. Um, getting back from the break, uh, we have uh, exclusively so far talked about what I wanted to talk about. Uh, so we're going to switch it up. We're going to uh, toss it over to Brian and uh, see what he can uh, trip us up concerning. But, uh, Brian, your your general thoughts and comments, how we ended things before the break. But jump right in here and uh, take her where you want to take us. Well, let me see here. I mean, the last thing uh, we had to kick off with there was chronology-wise, and uh, this article here from Daily Mail brings up uh, down near the bottom of the article, it basically states that the Israelites stayed in Egypt for 430 years as recorded in Exodus 1240-41, which is the equivalent of 1876-1446 B.C. Well, this last date, 1446, is fairly accurate concerning the exodus i don't remember the exact exact timing mind you but nonetheless that's pretty uh pretty on the mark there so and uh, as far as what i wanted to discuss next let's see here i had a few odds and ends i pulled up earlier but shut them down because i didn't know if uh that's what was causing my issues with uh me breaking up here. Um, oh boy. Now let's bring this one up for a second. This is a story that started floating around in the last couple of days here. I caught wind of this about two or three days ago. Um, we've got a uh, collision of stars, or as they put in this article, of suns will create a new star in the night sky in 2022. And let's see here. At the beginning of the 3rd century, civil war raged in Britain as the Roman emperor Septimus Severus sought to quell unrest in the north, but unknown to the fighting cohorts and Caledonian tribes. High above their heads, two stars were coming together in a huge cataclysmic explosion. Now, 1,800 years later, the light from all the collisions will finally arrive on Earth, creating a new star in the night sky dubbed the Boom Star. In an incredibly rare event, which is usually only spotted through telescopes. Before the meeting of the two stars were too dim to be seen by the naked eye, but in 2022, the newly formed red nova will burn so brightly in the constellation of Cygnus that everyone will be able to see it. Here we go again, right back into Cygnus, folks. Now, I don't know if you've seen this article, Matthew, but I don't know what you make of that one. New star showing up in the sky of all years, 2022. <laughs> right yeah, I, I just did it. As soon as you said it, I'm like, what is he talking about? A, a collision in 2022, so I researched it. Um, 
I, of course, went to uh, one of my breakaway sources. Um, I'm looking at Astronomy Magazine, uh, and you just sent me uh, one from the Telegraph. So basically the one from the Telegraph is probably uh, – has the same event horizon as this one. But of course I didn't catch this. This was published uh, Friday, January the 6th, 2017, yesterday uh, in Astronomy Magazine. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen, back to cryptochronology. And, of course, I, I do believe that uh, Brian's friend, um, uh, Andrew Collins, has done quite a lot of work about the Cygnus connection to the Giza Plateau, uh, which we're, when I'm done here looking at this, uh, we'll have Brian bring us up to speed. Now, I may be incorrect uh, about uh, the author that first talked about this, but ladies and gentlemen, 2022. Now, take note that Brian and I was telling you about celestial somology six years ago. We were coming live out on broadcast and videos uh, loudly screaming this date. Uh, remember, ladies and gentlemen, that the Hebrew calendar is different from ours. So if it is in the latter part of 2021, it would be included on the Hebraic calendar. Because remember, they're offset by about half a year. Ladies and gentlemen, we have talked about the Bethlehem star to wit's end. We have talked about the evidence as to when Christ our King was crucified and was resurrected. We have talked about the simple fact uh, that the ghost star coincided with Augustus, claiming that he was Pontiff Maximus. Ladies and gentlemen, we've talked about Herod's son when he was born. Ladies and gentlemen, these things are in direct correlation, historically speaking, with what Brian has proved to you uh, over there on his website. Uh, he published all the documentation that you would need to see. He has talked about it at length. Ladies and gentlemen, when the Magi showed up and told Herod, don't you understand that literally what they thought they were seeing was a second apparition of Halley's Comet. It came two years later. Exactly when Herod's son was born. The very same son of Herod that is mentioned in the New Testament text. This is real. So, when I see that 2022, that's probably on the Gregorian calendar. And I assure you that Brian and I have both looked into what is to come with celestial somology and this window of time. On the Gregorian calendar, it is 2021-2022. But uh, uh, Brian, let's get to the meat and potatoes of Cygnus. Uh, I do know, of course, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this this uh, sign that the Lord our God uh, has placed into the heavens um, is just off the charts. Uh, Brian 
is literally an expert on this constellation and everything uh, that came out uh, concerning the cryptochronologist. So, Brian, this just takes me by surprise and leaves me completely breathless that this mighty sign in the heavens would be displayed in that constellation um, come 2022. Uh, that's absolutely amazing. So uh, back to you, because I'm just quite honestly speechless. Uh, what's your thoughts about it? And, and please refresh the listeners as to why this constellation is so important. And let me not forget to remind the listener that, of course, the God-haters call this the Southern Cross. Right? Yep, that's a big, uh, big, interesting sign that's appearing there in Cygnus. Now, for everybody that's not familiar with this, I've spoken about this before at great length uh, concerning Cygnus. Uh, Andrew Collins has done a lot of work on this, at least uh, covering a couple of books, and it even comes into some of the new work on Gobekli Tepe. Um, you know, the most notable thing about it is the bird itself that shows up there. And it's positioning over the galactic center. And that's one of the standout things. He's done some work where he's found that it aligns with the uh, Great Pyramid and the other alignments within the pyramids there in Egypt itself as well. And it's rather, rather interesting stuff when you take his work and then overlap that of uh, Robert Bouval's on top of one another with his work with the Orion correlation. And it just kind of makes you wonder there what's going on. You know, it's uh, the old infamous elephant in the room that I brought up in discussion with some of the other historians on this one. And they weren't altogether all too familiar with uh, Andrew's work. But I think one of the things that gave uh, his findings a little more credibility was the fact that on top of it, um, when he took this alignment, he was able to locate the underground uh, caverns that go underneath the Giza Plateau due to that alignment. So that, you kind of have to scratch your head and go, okay, we've stepped beyond coincidence here. Now we're looking at something else that's a little bit more plausible. Um, you know, some of the ancient depictions, like you go over to go back Lake Tepe, this is, comes into the vulture. And, uh, you know, we pointed out at great length the... Uh, symbolic nature of the vulture out there in Central Asia and the uh, infamous vulture shamans. So, you know, we've got this sign floating around. Um, we just in the last week, week and a half or so, Dr. Paul Lavalette, or as uh, Matthew refers to him as Dr. Purple, had released an article on the uh, possibility or probability of seeing the effects of a galactic superwave between now and, if I remember correctly, about 2021. I think, Matthew, I think you might have posted that early in the week. If it wasn't you, I know one of our listeners caught it. Yeah, uh, somebody posted it. I remember seeing it, but I can't remember who. It was probably either Deb or Jenny, I would imagine. Uh, but it, it, it's almost like that article came as a preface to this because, you know, l ladies and gentlemen, we are always uh, quick to give credit where credit is due. 
Now, Brian has done most of the research concerning this archaeological site, Golepe Tepe, uh, with uh, Andrew Collins. Uh, and just uh, off the charts, um, ladies and gentlemen, could this be what Dr. Purple is looking for? Is this the super Wavitic event that will, in fact, be the tribulation trigger? Ladies and gentlemen, how did Andrew Collins use this constellation to find those underground chambers? What were they built for? Was this tied? Is it part and parcel with going back to the days of Noah? I mean, ladies and gentlemen, what is what is the power magnitudes we're talking about, ladies and gentlemen? What what could possibly uh, uh, come from this? Because we don't know, ladies and gentlemen. Two stars have never collided before. Okay. Saying that this is going to be a nova is really highly speculative. We don't know. We've never seen two stars come smashing together. Um, so this is absolutely off the charts, ladies and gentlemen. Um, off the charts. Uh, two stars that's going to collide with each other. Um, but I strongly suggest that you look up a Dr. Paul Leviolette, um, and do uh, research, uh, because he has basically uh, set up and provided us with a model that will explain what it is the Lord our God may be referring to when he says he will ride the cloud to Mount Paran. Um, you will find uh, Dr. Purple to be very... Uh, uh, friendly and manageable. Um, he is quite knowledgeable uh, in a superwave, what he calls a galactic superwave. So I strongly suggest that you consider that the Lord our God was being quite literal as well as being uh, prophetic when he stated that we were going back to the days of Noah. Uh, Brian, back to you. Well, I just popped you over another article that was released this week, and I noticed strolling through uh, quick through the page there, you had the quote-unquote Grand Tech put there in the little hashtag uh, mixed at the bottom of the show uh, page. And uh, this just came out in the last week as well. Contrary to popular belief, Jupiter does not orbit the sun. Thought I'd drop that there and let you look at that. Um, okay. Okay. Stop the bus. Stop the bus. Um, it was Brian and I literally. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a celestial scapegoat. There must be because the sun its equator is off the ecliptic by seven degrees. Now, 
just take note that this just came out in mainstream news articles. But when you take a look at the GIF, I see what I'm seeing. This is the exact same type of GIF they used to display to the world that Pluto and her moon Sharon was, in fact, revolving around each other. They are a Uraeus type of crown. Creates a crown. When you look at this, this is what they have proven, that the sun and the king star is in a synchronous orbit, one with another. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, oh my goodness, uh, this is literally one of the proofs that I was looking for. Um <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, all of you know that in an institution of higher learning, it was my first call to action, of course, to study the Bible, God's holy word. My secondary purpose for being there was to enlighten myself concerning celestial somology. In doing that, Brian, um, Brian, Brian, who else could do this to me? Uh, you've done this twice in less than 10 minutes. Um, you have got to look up this article, ladies and gentlemen. Just uh, do this. Uh, type this into a search engine. It says, contrary to popular belief, Jupiter does not orbit the sun. Uh, you're going to come over to Galaxy Monitor. I'm not sure if they are the event horizon uh, for this uh, article. Let me check the date. Unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, I don't see a publication date on this. Uh, but Brian and I uh, have been trying to teach you here over the last uh, six months uh, the quite simple fact that, ladies and gentlemen, when the Lord your God, when he told you that this generation will see the coming of the sign of the Son of Man. Let's go back to the Chinese that chronicled the ghost comet in relationship to Haley's appearance. If you walked up and asked them, hey, what's the king star? Those ancient Chinese celestial somologists would have told you, Jupiter, duh. If you went and asked the Romans. If you went and asked uh, uh, the Mongol horde, they would have told you the same exact thing. Well, that's Jupiter, duh. Ladies and gentlemen, NASA has already proved once they were given the technical data concerning the Nice model, concerning the swapping of the locations of Uranus and Neptune, Using that mathematical data, they were able to extrapolate out that Jupiter will, in fact, do a grand tack. You can find these things on the NASA website. They're true. It's real. So, with this in mind, back to Brian for a minute because now i got to go back to that article. Uh, I've got to find out where they just released this uh, about Planet X. And this celestial interloper uh, being the one that's pulling the sun off the ecliptic by seven degrees. 
Uh, just give me a couple of minutes, Brian. I should be able to find it pretty quick in my history. While you uh, pull that up, there's a couple of interesting articles. I pulled it up on a different website here. Uh, Express.cu.uk brings up the same article concerning Jupiter, but I found two more entertaining ones. Or rather, um, maybe not so much entertaining, maybe a little bit more in your um, face. Society to collapse by 2020 scientists Predict peak turmoil in three years. Society is on the brink of collapsing within three years as political turmoil peaks, scientists claims. War on the streets could be the norm by 2020 as unrest among citizens leading to erupting violence. Peter Turkin, a professor of ecology and mathematics at the University of Connecticut, has been studying history as if it were science, and by analyzing past societies has concluded the current societal norms are nearing their end. Professor Turkin has developed a subject known as dynamics, which analyzes history as a science, which includes predictions and models based on past experiences, a.k.a. he uses isochronal eschatology, folks. Sorry, but that's what he's doing. Uh, This Russian-American scientist has been building his model for years, but states the election of Donald Trump as president of the U.S. will accelerate the negative trends leading to peak in turmoil in 2020. He highlights the elite overproduction where the rich get richer as another exacerbating feature of the rising tensions and will lead to ideological Polarization and fragmentation of the political class. Sorry, folks. Remember all his promises concerning the rich people and all that, getting the money back into the middle class? Then why has he piled his uh, administration with top bankers and everything else under the sun? Okay, moving on in this article. Writing a piece for Fizz.org, Mr. Turkin says, My model indicated that social instability and Political violence would peak in the 2020s. The presidential election, which we have experienced, unfortunately confirms this forecast. We seem to be well on track for the 2020s instability peak, and although the election is over, the deep structural forces that brought us the current political crisis have not gone away. If anything, the negative trends seem to be accelerating. Well, folks, what is? let's just stop here and talk a moment for what is he talking about here. I hate to break it to everybody. It should be rather obvious that this election caused a major divide across this nation. Um, we've had a lot of clashes and a lot of protests breaking out ever since then for their own means and for their own reasons. And personally, myself, I can't say that I disagree with too many of the things that people are upset about. Um, you know, we had almost a 50-50 split here, granted, after the election as the votes kept being counted. Um, it was actually Clinton that came out on top in the popular vote. But, of course, as we know, the electoral votes essentially control everything as far as how the elect 
presidential elect is put into office, a.k.a. he will become the president coming up on, I think it's the 18th or 20th here. But nonetheless, folks, we kind of have warned to watch for this divide, these uh, quote-unquote civil wars breaking out within nations, and we've seen this constant thread all throughout the world on a continual basis here, and this um, this new uh, rhetoric that has come forward, this neo-Nazism, as we've been referring to it as, has been becoming commonplace within the Western world, and we're seeing this lead to clashes over and over and over again. So to move into this article a little bit more, uh, Donald Trump's proposed tax policies are another element that could bring on the inevitable collapse of society, Mr. Turkin adds. He writes, drastically reducing taxes on wealthy Americans will hardly strengthen the fiscal health of the state. Dismissing the idea that his prediction is sensationalist, he adds, this is science-based forecast, not prophecy. However, the collapse of society can be avoided. Our society, like all previous complex societies, is on a roller coaster. And personal social forces bring us to the top. Then comes the inevitable plunge, but the descent is not inevitable. Ours is the first society that can perceive how these Forces operate even if dimly. This means that we can avoid the worst, perhaps by switching to a less harrowing trap track, perhaps by redesigning the roller coaster altogether. And I don't know if you're ready there with that article yet, Matthew. Oh yeah, I'm I'm ready, but I'm thoroughly ticked off because, ladies and gentlemen, I already had this article uh, pulled up. Um, different source, uh, this was uh, the one that I was going to talk about, was in UCOMP today, Social Instability Lies Ahead, researcher says, because, ladies and gentlemen, let me explain something to you really quick about this gentleman that referred to in this article. He is the one that came up with isochronal eschatology and coming up with a mathematical way to study history in or in cycles. It's called cleodynamics. Uh, if you would like to know, he's actually a Russian. Okay? He actually got, uh, 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 he, uh, back in the 70s, uh, <laughs> he was only faculty of Moscow State University. I am not lying to you. Okay, uh, so uh, just take note that this also has uh, another uh, branch that they call Cleometrics. The Cleo part of this Cleodynamics is based upon, of course, the Greek muse, Cleo. Ladies and gentlemen, how did Brian bring up this article having no idea that I was going to bring it up myself? But Ladies and gentlemen, they know that history is cyclical. Look, I'm not lying to you. Cleodynamics is, in fact, a part of the academic community. Okay? Uh, So, it just blows me away uh, that what this does is, 
this process uh, studies natural sciences and mathematics to study history in order to foresee what is to come. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, I- I'm not joking with you at all. Prof. Turkin, uh, uh, he really is from Moscow. I'm not lying to you. Uh, in the 70s, uh, he was in Moscow. Uh, then later he came over here uh, uh, and got <laughs> – of course, we uh, gave him a professorship in biology immediately. Uh, but uh, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, please uh, look this up. Uh, it is called Cleodynamics. Uh, now, it's spelled C-L-I-O-D-Y-N-A-M-I-C-S. Now, another integral part of it, uh, uh, which also deals with the mathematical methods uh, to predict and study history, is called Cleometrics. So, yes, ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, this professor... Uh, came up with twins and how to study history and what is to come. This is no joke. This is not a uh, a, a random article that Brian is referring to. Now, just because he got his from a different uh, source, of course, I wouldn't expect uh, Brian to watch the University of Connecticut uh, news source. I do. All of you know that I am the one that created that term, isochronal, Eschatology. Well, believe me, you, when I was in an institution of higher learning, I was trying to understand why, even though this was painfully known throughout history, academia was doing everything within their power to conceal what God himself said about time in the book of Ecclesiastes. That time is, in fact, cyclical. Therefore, eschatology must be cyclical. It's isochronal. So, the preterist, which is the study of the fulfillment of prophecy exclusively in history, are half right. And the futurist, which a lot of people call the rapturist, they, in turn, are equally 50% correct. It's not until you put these two twins together that you realize what it is that Prof. Turkin has uh, – he has literally created his own field of study with isochronal eschatology. Like I said, let me say it one more time. It's called Cleodynamics, and he has determined that – well, as you heard Brian read, he has proven – Mathematically, mathematically, that uh, he started applying these things 10 years ago. And what he discovered, he himself states, it alarmed him. Let me read a little bit from this article. This is a quote from him. My research showed that about 40, about 40 seemingly disparate, but according to Cleodynamics related – Social indicators experienced during the turning point of the 1970s. 
Ladies and gentlemen, how do you think that I have stated publicly multiple times that 1970 is when the modern age began? It's, it's a part of academia. Anyway, let me continue. Historically, such develops, developments have served leading indicators of political turmoil. My model indicated that social instability and political violence would peak in the 2020s. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, let me read the next one. The presidential election we have experienced, unfortunately, confirms this forecast. We seem to be well on track for the 2020s instability peak. And although the election is over, the deep structural forces that brought us to the current political crises have not gone away. If anything, the negative trends seem to be accelerating. Ladies and gentlemen, I know all about Prof. Turkin. I have studied him for decades. For decades. Now, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I have uh, painfully uh, uh, brought up on multiple uh, occasions what the me uh, decade is. It's common knowledge what the me decade is. It's the 70s. They refer to it uh, as the uh, a Great Awakening, of course. I've taught you all about uh, the cover uh, of the New York Magazine on August 23rd, 1976. Ladies and gentlemen, Prof. Turkin knows full well that men became lovers of themselves in the 70s. The modern age, they also call it the age of communication, the computer age, however you want to say it, it began... In the 70s, ladies and gentlemen. So now I hope some of these things that Brian and I have been talking about for years now is beginning to take root in your spirit. These things are real. These things are biblical. This is Brian and I's worldview. Okay? So let me get back here uh, uh, just off the charts, but... Uh, I have to go back. It's just I was a little bit upset that Brian beat me to the pr uh, punch, and he cheated because uh, normally I will send him the links ahead of time, and I'll say, hey, we're going to talk about this. But I didn't because I really didn't want to talk about this myself. I was really excited about it, and he brings up Prof Turkin uh, from a different source. So that's not even funny. That's cheating. But anyway, um, here is the article I was referencing earlier. Uh, it was released in uh, Astronomy Magazine again. Like I said, that's how I found it. I suggest you do the same. Uh, track their news. Uh, it was published October 19th of 2016. Uh, Planet 9 may be responsible for the tilting sun. How our possible rogue planet may be messing with our solar system. Ladies and gentlemen, it goes on to discuss here. I suggest you look up this article. Like I said, it's in Astronomy Magazine. And they're literally mathematically telling you that the only real thing that could be pulling the sun's equator off of the ecliptic is a massive gas giant that lurks 
in the darkness has been cast into the Kuiper Belt, the deep, so to speak. Ladies and gentlemen, we know full well, and Brian and I have had private conversations about one of my very good friends uh, that's made multiple documentaries uh, for the Discovery Channel. Uh, uh, very unsettling things because the things that, that, that he was talking about on a global forum, uh, they were diligently asking him, and and you have the climate uh, weathering models. He is the one that is his puppy. He's the one that made it. Um, he is very well-renowned, and he was asking me about this, and he was hoping that it was something that was incredibly small and hopefully almost entirely made of iron. That's what he was hoping. However, you need to look up Trez 2B. We have seen a massive gas giant. But the only way we was able to see it is it did a transit across its parent star. And its libido is darker than acrylic paint. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian and I have tried to tell you about the celestial scapegoat. We have tried to tell you about what the Hebraic scriptures refer to as moaz. We have tried to tell you uh, the scriptures at length. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why they're looking for it, because they know that the Bible has told them so, just like Prof. Turkin was told about isochronal eschatology, about time being cyclical, and he has made his own academic discipline. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm, 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 I'm telling you the truth. The one thing that would answer all the questions as to why we can't find planet X. Of course, sometimes they say it's planet 9. The X being in reference to something else entirely different. But ladies and gentlemen, look up Trez 2B and imagine in your mind what would happen if that what was lurking in the outer darkness. If a huge, magnificent gas giant was lurking in the Oort cloud. Ladies and gentlemen, let me challenge you tonight. What if the Bible is true? And it's true in ways that you can't understand. Because when God talks about physiology, well, he has to use a language that you will able to understand. Ladies and gentlemen, here, let's just do this really quick. I've already got a message on the social networking site about this generation. What did God say? They want to know. What is it that God actually said? We want to know. We want to know. What he actually says was, This generation. Where is that exact phrase found in the Bible source code? <laughs> Where is it? Where is this generation? Where is that exact phrase at? Ah, oh, ladies and gentlemen, if you only had eyes that can see what I can perceive. 
might want to take a look at Psalms, the 10th chapter in verse 6. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, what, do you even know what Psalms chapter 10 is about? Do you not know that this is in accord with the first chapter in the book of Asaph? This completely mimics the first of the 11 chapters that is begins with Psalm 73. Ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about Psalms 33 verse 11. But the counsel of the Lord shall endure forever. His thoughts of his heart from generations to generations. I can see what God actually said. He used that exact phrase that he used in Luke chapter 16 verse 8. I know what he said. Ladies and gentlemen, I have that long and at length debated with the Kabbalist about why it is that this exact phrase, of course, they will not tell their parishioners that this is in the Greco Bible source code. When they study, of course, the Greco Bible source code at least half of the time. But they don't want you to know that this exact phrase is in Daniel chapter 4 twice. Okay, it's in verse 3. Let me read it. How great and mighty is his kingdom, his kingdom an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is to endless ages. He doesn't say endless ages. That's not what God said. However, that's how Thompson translated it, and it could be translated as such, but Britain's is better in this case. How great and mighty are they, his kingdom and an everlasting kingdom, and his power to all generations. That's a more correct way to put it. And many of you are thinking, well, what are you talking about, Matthew? What, what, what is this in relationship to? Daniel chapter 4, verse 34. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High and praised him that lives forever and gave him glory. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom lasts to all generations. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why Zephaniah 3, verse 9, says what it says. But, ladies and gentlemen, this also has everything to do with Joel chapter 1, verse 3. Tell your children concerning them, and let their children tell their children, and their children another generation. Ah, yes, the promises made to the sons of Zadok. They will come. To pass because the Lord God he, he is faithful we have got our warning uh, Brian about the 60 minutes to the end of broadcast I've seemed to rambled on again but it really upset me that you trumped me so to speak how did you find that article about Prof Turk and I, I, I want to know how you found it just just tell me just, 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 just show it up side by side with the Jupiter one, so I had to find a different Jupiter article because that one was causing scrambling of the uh, signal, too much stuff coming through my internet. So I went and found another one, and it came up. Really? All right, well, let's sign off this broadcast. Uh, Brian, uh, we're down to uh, God bless, ladies and gentlemen. Godspeed. Brian, say goodnight. Thanks, everybody, for joining us.
good night or good day, depending on your listening time. God bless. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.